a story about an older man who lived in New Jersey, and one of the things that he loved to do every single year was plant a tomato garden, all right? It was one of the things that him and his only son would do together, and so he loved being able to do that. But this one year, this specific year, there was a problem with that. His son was in prison, and so he sat down to write his son a note, And just said, you know, dear Vincent, it is with sad hearts that I am just sending you this letter that I'm not going to be able to plant the tomato garden this year. Like the ground is so hard and I'm just getting so old that I am not able to do this. But I know that if you were here, you would jump in because you love to help me. This was our project, but I just wanted to let you know that. Love, Papa. And so about four days later, he received a letter back from his son. And his son simply said, Dear Dad, do not dig up the tomato garden. That's where the bodies are planted. Love, Vinny. And so anyway, at 4 a.m., at 4 a.m. that night or morning, whatever you want to call it, FBI agents show up, police officers show up, and they begin to dig looking for these bodies. And after hours, they don't find anything. They apologize to the older man and then leave, to which then that day, the father gets a letter from his son and says, Father, now you can plant your tomato garden. <laughs> said, you know, it's the best that I could do with these circumstances. And I'm just thinking about this idea that we all have this desire to want to help. Like we do. We want to help other people. Now, sometimes there are different aspects that cause us to want to help more or less, but we want to we help people. And so sometimes those aspects are the idea of how well do you know the person? Like, is this someone who is close to you? Like, I want to come alongside and be able to help them in the things that they're going through. Or maybe it's someone that you don't know, and maybe so that's not the desire as much. Or maybe, maybe the reason that you're trying to decide how much am I going to help or not is how much it costs, or how much time is this going to take, or how much energy is this going to take? And so that's weighing in on, am I going to step in to help someone or not? Sometimes the thing that causes us to step in or not is, is how big is the need? And I see that this needs to get done. And so, yep, I'm willing to step in and help. Whereas maybe you're like, eh, this could happen a week later, two weeks later, other people are going to help. And so maybe you don't jump in. Sometimes the thing that causes us to help someone is, have they helped us before? So when someone has given time to be able to help you, it's like, I want to be able to repay them. I want to be able to help them because of what they have done for me. And so I I jump in to do that. Sometimes we don't necessarily really, we're not proud of this aspect, but one of the things that can cause us to help someone is what is it, what's in it for me? Like if I choose to help you, what comes back for me? And so sometimes that can even play in our mind as we're trying to decide, are we going to help this person out in this situation or not? But the truth is all of us, we want to help others in certain situations. And I believe that is because you and I, we are made in the image of God. And one of the roles that God plays is that he is a helper. He wants to come alongside and help each one of us. And so we're reading through the Psalms, a bunch of them this summer, and today is Psalm 121, and this word helper just jumps out at me. In fact, I remember a song from about 15 years ago that a worship minister at another church had written for kids' camps, and so it was in my mind. I looked all around on the internet to see if I could find it. I could not, so I'm not going to share it with you. I'm not going to sing it with you. You're welcome. But like, just I remember these words from that song because of it written in. And so today we're looking at Psalm 121. But before we get to verse 1, There is a little itty bitty kind of sentence or title probably in your Bible under where it says Psalm 121. And mine says, a song of ascents. 
A song of ascent, this idea of stepping up, going up, something like that. Now, if you were to look at that, you go, okay, that says that in Psalm 121. If you were to go back to Psalm 120, it also says that. If you go to Psalm 122, it also says that. In fact, for 15 chapters in a row, these psalms have been put together, these songs of ascent. All right? Most of them are between three to eight verses. They're, the longest one is 18 verses. And so what exactly does this mean? I mean, there's a purpose to them being put together. What, I, what are these songs of ascent? There's some differing ideas. One idea is this idea that the priests or the Levites would speak these or sing these songs as they literally went up a step to the temple. So I go up one step and I read one of them. I go up the next step and I read the next one. So that was one theory. There's also an idea out there that the Jewish people said some of these um, chapters in a row as they came back from Babylon. Now, not, in, not initially, not when they initially came back from Babylon, because there's a chapter that talks a lot about the temple, but this idea of some of the people who had been captive, you know, living in Babylon, but now they're coming back after the rebuilt temple, then maybe they're saying these words. It's a possibility. It is also a possibility that it has to do with the structure of these Psalms so that maybe, you know, from one to the next, maybe there's a rhythm change or there's some technical structure that changes, or maybe even you sing the next one in a higher key. That was also thought about. Maybe that's what this is. However, I will tell you that most commentators will agree. They'll say this is probably what it means as far as this song of ascent. That the Jewish people, they would say these psalms, they would sing these psalms as they were headed to Jerusalem for one of the three big feasts every year. As they were headed this way, they would say these 15 different psalms, just reminding them about who God is and what he wants from them. In fact, some people would even tell you the second one, this Psalm 121, might have even been said at nighttime. And so, just wanted you to know that in case you see it and go, why in the world is that there? More than likely, the Jewish people were singing this as they came to Jerusalem. And so now let's get into verse 1. Here's what the author actually wrote. He said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so right off the bat, he's saying, I lift my eyes up to the hills. That word can also mean mountains. I lift my eyes up there. And so again, there's some different thoughts. Why would the author say this? What's the meaning behind it? And one of those is the idea that, you know what? When we're talking about difficulties in life, we refer to them as valleys. Man, I am in a valley of my life. And so in this moment, I'm going to choose to lift up my eyes to the hills, to the mountains, to the places where things are going well, and I'm going to seek that out. And so one thought is that's what it means. I'm looking up to the hills. For some people, they think it actually means this other idea, that Jerusalem was actually geographically higher than all the other places. So when you came to Jerusalem, you were going up a mountain. And so some people would say, man, I am looking up at Jerusalem, but I'm going up this hill. And so I am crying out to God, God, will you help me as I make this journey? And then some people would tell you that as I'm lifting my eyes up to the hills and I'm looking at Jerusalem, that is where the temple is. And so for them, that is where God lives. That's where I go to worship him. That is where he is. And so amongst the difficulties in life, I'm going to look up there and I'm going to keep my eyes focused upon him. And no matter what the original thought of the author was, the truth is still there. That amongst the difficulties in life, amongst the huge momentarily troubles too, I can keep my eyes focused on him and he is going to help me help. Like, where do I find my help? 
He doesn't say, where do I find my help? Well, I'm just going to work really hard at it. I'm just going to find that out, you know, within myself. But that's sometimes what we do. Like, okay, here's this difficult circumstances. I'm just going to push hard. I'm going to make my way through it. And then everything's going to be okay. You know what? I went to the men's retreat a couple weeks ago and I didn't hear it said this year, but a lot of times it's, there's this comment about how many of you have like tried to do something big all by yourself, like, you know, move a deep freeze or something like that. Instead of calling for help, you know, you feel like I can do this myself because I'm a man, you know, and instead of calling for help, you try to do that. And then you have to go to the chiropractor or something like that. You know, I think about even some of the ladies, there are times that you're like, Hey, I'm willing to share certain things, but there are other things like, I don't want someone to know that I don't know how to do this or that I need help. And so I'm a little bit nervous or I just choose not to call out for help. And God wants us to reach out to him for help because that is who he is. He's a helper. He doesn't want us to even to do it as a last resort. Okay, let me work really hard, see if I can figure this out myself. And then, you know, I've got God in my back pocket. I'll pull him out. Instead, he wants us to seek him first because he is willing. He is able to come alongside of us. In fact, in verse two, I mean, if I'm looking for help, why would I not go to the one who made heaven and earth? Because nothing is too big for him. God is our helper. In fact, this is not the only psalm that just talks about that. Let me just read quite a few here, just back to back on just God being helper. And so in Psalm chapter 10, verse 14, you hear it just say, but you, O God, you are the helper of the fatherless. And so that's in Psalm chapter 10, verse 14. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 40, it says that the Lord helps them. It's talking about the righteous. The Lord helps them and he delivers them. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 17, we read this, that you are my help, my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. I'm going to call out to you because you are the one that helps me. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, Sam preached on this a few weeks ago, but the beginning of it, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. He will not leave us. In Psalm 54, verse 4, it says, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Or you can jump to Psalm 118, verse 7. It says, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. And because of that, I will look in triumph on my enemies. Like God is there with me. And in Psalm 124, verse 8, it says, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Like this is who God is. This is one of his roles. He wants to come alongside and help us. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 41, right underneath like the, the title or the, the number, my heading in my Bible says the helper of Israel. And there's a couple verses in Isaiah 41 that talk about God being our help. And so in verse 10, it says, so do not fear. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then three verses later in that same chapter, he says this, for I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand. And I say to you, do not fear for I will help you. Like over and over and over again, God says, I want to come alongside. I don't want to be this back pocket kind of God. I want you to come to me so that I can assist you. In fact, this idea of helper is the same word. When it says Adam, there was no suitable helper for him. And so Eve came on the scene. God created her. God is one who is here to assist us. In fact, God is helper though. He is powerful. He is constant and he is ever present in trouble as we read just a while ago. And I think about in the book of Daniel, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taking a stand, going, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And I know that he is here, no matter what happens, he's got us in his hand. And then you see that these guys are thrown into the fire and the king then gets to see a presence. He says, wait, we threw three guys into the fire. Why is there now a fourth one there? He says, he even looks like a son of a God. God is always there. He is ever present with us, even in trouble. And sometimes he will save you from the situation. And sometimes he will give you strength to make it through the situation. And so we're supposed to lift up our eyes through those struggles, lift up our eyes to him because he will help you through. So don't be afraid to cry out, God, I can't do this on my own. And I don't have to be ashamed of that, but you are here with me. And I don't know if you've ever heard people come up to you and just say this phrase of, you know, God's not going to give you anything that you can't handle. Like, I think that's supposed to encourage you. But like, did you know that that's not in the Bible? Like, that's not true. Like, God will give you, you know, nothing that you can't handle. Here is the truth that God won't give you anything that you can't handle without his help. That's the truth, that he is going to come alongside of you and help you through those situations, but not just you leaning upon your own strength. So he is the helper. And so we should go to him and cry out to him, the maker of heaven and earth. And so then we keep reading in verses three and four in Psalm 121. And it says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so here's this idea that not letting your foot slip. And I think of a couple different things. One, I think about a firm foundation. And I think back to when Jesus is telling a story about the wise and the foolish builder. He says, hey, the wise man, he builds his house on the rock. This is the person who listens to what I say. And you live your life based on that. When storms come, it will stand strong. But the foolish man, he builds his house upon the sand, upon whatever else he thinks is going to work. But when the storms come, he is not able to stand. It does not last. The house collapses. And so what kind of foundation do you have? God is our firm foundation. But I also then think back to when we were reading about the armor of God and that one little piece that talks about having ready feet that are firm, that are planted for whatever is going to come our way. And so do we have those kind of feet that are ready that God is holding on to? So one, he is our foundation, but then he is holding us up amongst the battle as well. I think about this idea as I look at verse three and four, that God is the one watching over us, holding us up. In verse three, it talks about me personally, but in verse four, it talks about Israel. And still today, God is there to hold you up as an individual. He is watching over you, but then also our community, us as a church, God watches over. He is not sleeping or slumbering, which is an interesting thought process. But in the Mesopotamian literature, anytime they would talk about a God who is slumbering, that means that he is unresponsive. Like, are you even there? Which again, makes me think back to first Kings chapter 18, where there's a prophet named Elijah. And he goes before King Ahab and so many of Israel are worshiping Baal or Asherah, or sometimes they're worshiping Jehovah God, or sometimes they're flip-flopping just depending on the moment. And Elijah says, who is God? And all these people are quiet. And he says, okay, then we're going to do this contest and we're going to find out. And so all these prophets of Baal are up on Mount Carmel and so is Elijah. And so they're saying, we're going to do these sacrifices and whichever God lights the sacrifice first, you will know, not think, you will know that he is God. And so Elijah says, you guys can go first. 
Like he's not afraid. He knows Baal's not real. And so he's sitting back. And so it says that the prophets of Asher, the prophets of Baal are worshiping. They're crying out. They start shouting really loud. When nothing is happening, they even begin to cut themselves so that the blood will be a a sacrifice to their God and he will answer and light the fire and nothing happens. And then it kind of makes me laugh because after a while, Elijah's like, okay. And so he begins to taunt them. And he says, you know what? Maybe your God is deep in thought. Like maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling right now. He says maybe he is sleeping and he must be awakened. Like he says these things. This is your God. Like he's not doing anything. And then in the moment, like he prays and God answers him. Like, and people know who the real God is because our God is not a God who is unresponsible or inaccessible. He is watching over you. And maybe your translation says keep, not just watch. He's going to keep you. That word means that God is watching over you. He is guarding you. He is keeping you. He is protecting you. That's what that word means. And I get that sometimes you look, yeah, but look at things going on in my life or look at things that maybe are going on in the church. It's like, how is God watching over me? You know what? There is still free will that people are choosing things that ought not to be there. And yet even amongst that, God has still firmly got you. He has still firmly got us in his grasp. He is watching over us. And in fact, that's mentioned multiple times here. A lot of times when something is repeated in scripture, it's like, you better pay attention because this is something that's important. Sometimes it's poetic. And so I'm going to repeat this, but we need to know that God is watching over us always reminds me of a story of a captain who was you know uh, guiding a ship from Liverpool to New York and he would make this trip quite often but one of the trips he had his entire family so his wife and four uh, yeah four kids and so while they were going from New York one night in the middle you know in the middle of the night a squall comes up so a lot of people are sleeping but this big storm and it causes the waves to become really big and one of them strikes the side of the boat So much so that it causes a lot of things that are on tables to fall off, things that are on walls to fall off. It wakes up a lot of the passengers, and some of them are very scared, going, man, what's happening now? The worst case scenario, they're throwing on clothes, ready to be able to have to abandon ship if that's what needs to happen. But there's one girl who's eight years old, and she wakes up, and she simply asks one question after what's going on. And so they are, she's told, this is what's going on. So she asks this one question. She receives the answer. And even though the storm is still going on, she lays back down in her bed to go to sleep. Now, what was the question that she asked? She simply said, is daddy still on deck? Is dad still on deck? And the answer was yes. And she knows that her dad is the captain. He's got everything under control and she is able to rest in that. You know what? For us, maybe there are certain storms of life that you're going through. We have to remember that God is in control. He's got us. And so even amongst the storm, you and I, we can take a breath and we can rest in that. God is watching over you and he is protecting you. In fact, the theme continues throughout the rest of this psalm, verses five through eight. He says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. 
And so here he talks about, he's watching over you. He is your shade. You know, for us, sometimes that is a literal protection when you're standing in the shade. It's also this figurative protection that God is watching out. He's going to protect you. And it talks about it, this right hand. Oftentimes when you're reading this right hand, there's this idea of honor and status and authority and blessing and strength. So that is who God is. And he is close next to you. He is that servant right next to you, ready to help you out. He is always watching over you. So the sun and the moon, it will not hurt you because he is always watching over you. And it says, he will watch over my life. That's not just the days that you're alive. That means this idea that he is watching over my soul, my whole body. That is what God has gotten. So I think about Paul, who in 2 Timothy, he's in prison, and he writes to Timothy saying this, that I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. No matter everything else that is going on, I can completely trust that God has got me. He's watching over me. He's watching over my coming and my going, as verse 8 says. Now, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but there were a lot of uh, Jewish people that because of some certain texts in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter six, it talked about how much we should love God. And then it said, not just love him, but understand the instructions and you should pass these on to your kids so that they know how to live. And it says, you should talk about them when you're at home and when you're along the road, when you're sitting up, when you're lying down, like talk about these things. And at the end of that text, it says, and write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. And so there were so many Jewish people that would take some different scripture and it would be on the door frame of their house. It was called the mezuzah. And so sometimes they would touch it as they came in or left. Sometimes they would kiss it. But then sometimes some of the Jews would mention Psalm 121 verse 5 or verse 8 as they were coming or going. The idea that God, you will watch over me. You will watch over the, sh you will give me the shade of your right hand. My coming and my going, I completely trust in you. God is our helper who is continually watching over us. And that is a fantastic truth that comes from the Old Testament, that comes from this psalm. But just a while ago, we sang a song called Same God. That the same God that has done all these things that we read about in Scripture is equally as active today. And he continually watches over us today. He's still our helper but it's interesting because it maybe even takes a deeper meaning that God is our helper. For instance, let me read you two verses. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says these words. He says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Okay, so you hear that. But then 10 verses later in verse 26, he also says this. He says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Now, first off, I need to tell you both those texts, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit, he is coming. But then he also, in those texts, he calls him the comforter. But I'm talking about helper. Like, why are we doing that? Well, let me just tell you the Greek word that is used right there for comforter is called paraclete. All right. And it's one of those words that is so deep that it's hard to like get our mind wrapped around. And so it's sometimes it's translated in different ways. A paraclete was this, is someone who was called for to assist. And so sometimes in a legal context, a paraclete would be someone who would come and defend someone who is being accused of something. And often they would speak about the good traits, the good qualities of the person who is being accused and say, this is what you need to know. 
Sometimes in non-legal context, it could mean someone who was encouraging um, soldiers before battle. And so in this idea of paraclete, sometimes they will translate it this idea of a counselor, because sometimes we need to hear the truth. We need to hear the truth about ourselves when maybe we're hearing lies of everything else. Sometimes it's this idea of comforter that, again, I can rest in that truth that is being spoken to me. Sometimes that word is translated then advocate, someone who is coming to fight on your behalf. And so it's this idea of helper, but it's not just I think I'll help. Like it's a deep help that he comes and does. And so over in Scripture, time and time again, we see how the Holy Spirit will convict us of what is true. He will help us to mature so that we're not just baby Christians anymore. He teaches us often as we're reading his word, he helps us to recall truth, things that maybe you were taught so many years ago that you're like, I haven't even thought of that. But God's word brings us back. God's spirit teaches you those things. Again, he gives you strength. He guides you. He is our helper. And in that verse, one interesting thing is that Jesus says, and God will send another. He doesn't say a lesser. Like sometimes we think, yeah, God, father, God, son, God, Holy spirit. That's not it at all. The Spirit will come. He will help you with everyday life. And there is power in that. God is still wanting to help us. You know, there's a writer named Alex Haley, and he has a picture on his wall. And this picture has a turtle on top of a fence post. And so sometimes people have come in and they're like, why do you have this picture of a turtle on top of a fence post in your office? And he says these words, sometimes when I begin to write something that I know is going to be really significant, or I'm writing something and I know that it's pretty wonderful, or people are telling me those kind of words, or I I begin to feel really proud of the things that I've done, I look at that picture because the turtle didn't get there on his own. And I'm reminded that I didn't do this by myself. God is still my helper. And so... In the mountains of life, God is there to help you. In the valleys of life, God is there helping you. When it's nighttime, God is helping you. When it's morning, God is helping you. In the times that you are crying out, God is helping you. In the times that you don't, he's still there helping you. In the times that you notice he's helping you, in the times that you don't, he continues to help. Those moments that you feel pretty strong, he's there helping you. In those moments that you're pretty weak, God continues to help you because that is who he is by nature. He is our helper and we don't have to do it by ourselves. And that is such great news. In fact, I think about Jesus being our helper too, because he came to meet a need that we could not do ourselves, that he came to offer us forgiveness. Say, here's the biggest need that all of your sins can be completely wiped out. That Jesus comes in this spot that says everything is gone. And in that moment when the accuser starts to say, this is who he is or this is who she is. So she doesn't deserve any of that. That Jesus is there as our advocate, as our helper saying, nope, the price has been paid. They are my child. And then Jesus did go back up into heaven. And Peter was preaching this first sermon after Pentecost, and he's preaching and he's telling people that you all killed Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God. And it says to the crowd, they were cut to the heart. Like they were convicted. They're like, man, we messed up. What is it we're supposed to do? And so Peter says, you need to repent. Don't be doing those things anymore. And he says, be baptized. He says, do these things for the forgiveness of, the, of sins. God has made the way. Will you accept the gift? 
And then it says also, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Man, repent, be baptized. You will receive the helper to come alongside of you and help you in your daily struggles. In the small and the big, he will be there every step of the way. And maybe this morning is day. It is the day that you're like, I want the helper. I want Jesus inside of me. I want to be able to be guided and recall truth that I can't do on my own. And if today is the day that you're like, yep, I'm ready to stop just trying to do this all on my own, figure it out by my own strength, then we would love for you to make it your way to one of the decision points. If we could talk to you about what does it mean to let Jesus be the Lord of my life? And for some of us, like the weight that we're carrying, we're not meant to carry by yourself. And I simply want someone to pray alongside of me. And it's not too small. Sometimes you may be going, yeah, there's this thing I'm going through. I would love someone to pray for me, but like maybe it's not as big as what other people are going through. There's nothing too small. God is our helper. And so if you want someone to pray alongside of you, we want to be able to do that as well. But Jesus paved the way. He took every sin and he wiped it away and said, you are my son, you are my daughter. And so we continue to sing to him. We continue to live for him, but not by our own strength, by his If you need prayer or have a decision, I encourage you to make your way to the decision point. The rest of us, let's sing to the God who loves us.